Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Li Pingchen, one of the hosts of the channel. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Peng Junyi about his new book, Mediatized Taiwanese Mandarin, Popular Culture, Masculinity, and Social Perceptions. This book was published by Springer in 2021, and is part of the Springer Sinophone and Taiwan Study book series. Dr. Pong, welcome to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you, Liping, for the introduction. Thank you, Jingyi. So uh, first of all, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself and your research. Okay, sure. Um, so I am now an associate professor of Chinese at the City University of New York. Um, I received my PhD in linguistics also from the City University of New York, where I was working on uh, mediatized Taiwanese Mandarin, and then which is how uh, Taiwanese Mandarin is perceived by Chinese mainlanders and what kind of social perceptions that people in China have about our Mandarin, and then how uh, those so, uh, social perceptions formulated over time. Sounds good, and sounds uh, exactly about what we are uh, the the topic of the book today. And I'm looking forward to talk more uh, later on during their interview. But uh, before we uh, zoom in in the book, um, how do you started this project? Can you share with us some of the uh, behind the scenes story? Yeah, sure, definitely. So the project started actually very, very long time ago. Um, so uh, in my senior year in college, I had this opportunity to study abroad in Australia, where for the first time I encountered a lot of Chinese students from mainland China. And then whenever I talked to them, they always told me that you have this like very special accent, right? And then um, so for someone who grew up in Taiwan, I was never aware that I actually had an accent because we always take accent for granted, especially if you grew up in a uh, relatively homogenous environment, you feel like a, the way that you talk is considered a standard. Um, and then so growing up in Taiwan, I never had this perception or awareness um, that I s- actually speak Mandarin with an accent. Uh, until I had this encounter with those Chinese students from China in Australia. And what they constantly what they constantly taught me was, oh, you have this accent from you know like the TV, like the guys on TV, and then and then so that really made me thinking. So what exactly does that mean to sound like the guy on the TV, right? And then so they watch a lot of Taiwanese uh, dramas, and then but they they had very very little 
face-to-face interaction with real Taiwanese people. And then, um, but at the time, I didn't have any linguistic training. Um, I was only an undergrad student. I, I knew so little about linguistics. And then, so I was just very curious what they actually meant by I sounded like a guy on TV. And then I had this so-called uh, accent, right? And then, so, uh, so that was where everything started. And then after that, um, I went into graduate school for linguistics because language has always been my my passion ever since I was in college. And then so I decided to go into graduate school uh, to study linguistics to become a professional linguist. Um, so while I was in the master's program, um, I started to, to think about this question, right? So what exactly do they mean by having this and then what exactly is the accent that I have, uh, you know, for someone who were who was not who was never aware that I had an own accent, and I was very curious what exactly did they hear from me, and then what are the things that trigger this kind of perception that uh, that I sounded like the guy on TV. And then so in in my master's program, I I I kind of studied the the syntactic the grammatical differences between how we use Mandarin in Taiwan and then how they, uh, they use Mandarin on the mainland. And then over time, it was developing, the project developed over time and then it became a bigger and bigger and a bigger project. And then so I carry over this project into my PhD program and I continue to study this. And then so, um, so when I was in the PhD program, I look at it not only from the linguistic, the language perspective, I also look at it from the sociological perspective. I wanted to know how people actually formulate this kind of perception and then, and then what are the things that actually trigger this kind of sociological perception uh, and, then, and then eventually turn into this kind of uh, or that we constantly talk about. So that was kind of the story where uh, everything started and how that developed into a, a PhD dissertation and later on this book project. Yeah, thank you, Jingyi, for sharing with us the story from the uh, what you are being uh, considered as the uh, so-called the guy on TV uh-huh, uh, yeah. by the Chinese <laughs> students, and later on developing, and also on your graduate studies and your research, and later on now into a book. And I think this is definitely uh, you touch upon this a very uh, important. Um, circulation, but also perception of popular culture and also cultural production in a uh, cross-strait situation, Taiwan and China as well. So uh, to uh, now to, uh, I guess, first thing first, now, what is Gang Tai Chang? And then you mentioned that this is the Hong Kong, Taiwan accent, but uh, I was wondering, can you talk more about what is Gang Tai Chang? And if possible, Jingyi, can you demonstrate uh, the uh, accent for our listeners? Okay, sure. Uh, so in my book, I really talk a lot about Gang Tai Chang because that is like the main focus of the book. And then so my main argument for the book is that um, Gang Tai Chang is not actually uh, a a real speech pattern is really how people perceive Taiwanese Mandarin uh, through mass media. So if a Chinese person watched a lot of Taiwanese TV shows and then but then they never had the opportunity to encounter or to to have this face-to-face interaction with actual Taiwanese people, and then so they would formulate 
this like perception or stereotypes in their mind that oh this is how Taiwanese people talk and then this is what I refer to as Gangtaijiang because whenever when I first heard this term, I was very curious because I know that people in Hong Kong talk very differently from people in Taiwan, right? And then so we speak Taiwanese and Hakka and then a lot of other, you know, local Taiwanese languages. And then in Hong Kong, they speak mostly Cantonese. And then so the accent that they have when speaking Mandarin uh, in Hong Kong is so much different from the accent that we have where we speak Mandarin in Taiwan. So I, when I first heard this term, I was very curious. So what exactly does that mean? Is that the accent from Hong Kong or is that the accent from Taiwan? Um, and then so that is, you know, where I started to think about all this kind of language perception and media stuff. And then so I started to do a little bit of research. I want to find out where exactly does this term come from? And then so then I talked to a lot of people, a lot of my Chinese friends from mainland China, and then asked them, so like, how, what exactly do you mean when you say Gangtaijiang? Do you mean the accent from Taiwan or do you mean the accent from Hong Kong? And then later on, I realized in the 70s, when a lot of the TV shows or movies from Hong Kong went into mainland China, those TV shows and movies were actually dubbed in Taiwan. And then so for Chinese people who do not have much exposure to, to Taiwanese or Hong Kong people, they would have this perception that, oh, they all talk very alike because everything from Hong Kong was dubbed in Taiwan when they entered the, the, the Chinese market. And then so for the Chinese audience, Taiwanese people and Hong Kong people actually sound the same because everything that they see on the TV uh, is dubbed pretty much by the same group of people, right? And then so that is why they they later on developed this perception that oh, people from Hong Kong and Taiwan all have this same kind of speech patterns, and then that is like, and then so that is what they perceived as Gangtaijiang, uh, but it's actually not a real speech pattern or an actual accent that people use to talk. It is what I call a mediatized variety of Mandarin. So this is the stereotype or the social perception that Chinese people formulated uh, through the lens of media. Sounds good. And specifically, uh, you unpack this uh, very interesting uh, dimension in terms of why the Taiwanese Mandarin and Hong Kong, uh, the Gangtaijiang, uh, are sort of like collectively referred to as Gangtaijiang, even though you briefly mentioned there's like so many differences, right? Like uh, the Taiwanese Mandarin and Hong Kong, the uh, Cantonese uh, in Hong Kong is uh, very different uh, linguistically. So, uh, so regardless of the, this difference, you mentioned that it is because of the practice or the strategy of dubbing in the uh, popular culture, especially in TV and films, so on and so forth, uh, those uh, cultural products, they are dubbed uh, in Taiwan and circulated in China. And that's why uh, you mentioned the uh, Chinese people, they understand uh, this kind of like speech pattern as Gangtaijiang. So that's why 
Taiwanese Mandarin and Hong Kong uh, languages are sort of collectively referred together. So this is the Gang Tai Chang, and uh, so. Uh, I was wondering that uh, in your book, you also mentioned about Taiwan Chang as well. So you mentioned we just talk about Gang Tai Chang, and um, but uh, in different chapters and different section, you also mentioned uh, Taiwan Chang. So I was wondering, can you talk more about what is Taiwan Chang and how does Taiwan Chang differ from the Gang Tai Chang, or um, is um, um, Taiwan Chang and Taiwanese Mandarin, they are the same or they are different? Mm, those are very good questions. Thank you, Li Ping. Um, so, so I think Taiwan Chang and Gang Tai Chang essentially are the same thing. Um, they are really just the social perception or the stereotypes of how Taiwan and Hong Kong people talk um, through the lens of media. And then, but then, you know, in the 70s, Chinese people do, did not have a lot of exposure to uh, to the outside world. That was when the China just opened up its door to the outside world. So at the time, everything, all the information that they received was from the media, right? And then so they didn't have uh, this kind of understanding like, oh, Taiwan is really different from Hong Kong. They have very different speech styles and then they speak different dialects and all that. So those things were not very well uh, were not known to many Chinese people at the time. But later on, as you know, Taiwanese Mandarin is uh, increasingly recognized as a distinct variety of Mandarin, when the people realize, oh, there is actually a very big difference between the way that people talk in Taiwan and the way that people talk in Hong Kong, um, people start to realize that uh, the, the speech patterns in Hong Kong and Taiwan are actually very, very different. So then they start to call this Gang Tai Chang, uh, Taiwan Chang instead, because they know, they now know that this is actually a speech pattern or the, um, a speech style that is unique to Taiwanese people only, but not to people in Hong Kong. And then so that's why they started to call this accent uh, Taiwan Chang. Uh, and with the with the emergence of you know this new term Taiwan Chang, uh, people give this term I think very slightly different social meanings. And then so when we used to talk about Gang Tai Chang like ten or twenty years ago, uh, Gang Tai Chang was perceived as being very cosmopolitan. It was very like business like, and that it has a verb uh, urban lifestyle attached to it. But then when people talk about Taiwan Chang, it is a very different perception from Gang Tai Chang. Um, so people get a lot of this Taiwan Chang from a lot of our um, idol dramas, right? So for example, the most well-known one is Material Garden, Liu Xinhua Yuan. And then so that is when this, this accent was really known to the Taiwanese people, or to, sorry, to the Chinese people as uh, Taiwan Chang. And then so... Uh, so, so this accent, uh, Taiwan Chang, is perceived more as like this very cutesy, uh, feminine, and also uh, polite, friendly kind of way. So it is no longer how it was perceived 30 years ago, as people would tell you that Gang Tai Chang sounds very cosmopolitan, urban, 
and and, and nice. But then for Taiwan Chang, it's more like you know, it's very cute, it's very feminine, and it, it's very like babyish on the other side of the spectrum. And then so. Although they are essentially the same thing, they are all the stereotypes that Chinese people have about how Taiwanese people talk through the uh, through the lens of media, but that they have been given very different social perceptions, and those perceptions uh, came from very different social contexts as well. Yeah, and then thank you especially for. Uh... Unpacking this、uh, development of this kind of、uh, linguistic category of、uh, Gang Tai Chang or Taiwan Chang, and especially you mentioned this、uh, understanding, the changing understanding, and even the different imagination and stereotypes of Taiwan Chang through different uh, uh, moments in our contemporary era. So um, now, um, so. Uh, I guess now I will focus my question on specifically on Taiwanese Mandarin, and then you mentioned that it's a it's a, a now recognized recognized a particular a variety of Mandarin and Taiwanese Mandarin. So,、um, Jingyi, do you want to、uh, speak briefly in Taiwanese Mandarin so uh, our uh, listeners can get a taste、uh, about what Taiwanese Mandarin sounds like? Okay. Uh, so do you want me to talk in Mandarin now?、Uh, yes. Okay, sure. So in Taiwan, Chang is more like what we normally speak in Taiwan. And sometimes, when we are talking in groups, we say, "Okay, okay, okay, can I? Really? These kind of phrases. So a lot of those like, sentence final particles that we use、uh, in our Mandarin is. Really, really salient、uh, to to the Chinese mainlanders, and then whenever you speak like that, they will be like, "Oh, this is very Taiwanese," and then so that is really the like the perception of Taiwanese Mandarin. And then also, like I said,、um, Taiwanese Mandarin is、um, so so. Gang Tai Chang is only represents part of Taiwanese Mandarin, right? Because Taiwanese Mandarin is also a very broad. Way of speaking, because if you're from Taipei, you're from Kaohsiung, or you're from you know from Taichung, and those those different cities have different their own regional varieties of Mandarin as well. So, what exactly is Taiwanese Mandarin, right? And then so even the term Taiwanese Mandarin cannot really cover all the different ways of talking.、Uh, Of people in Taiwan, and then so,、um, but then Taiwanese Mandarin. When ling when linguists talk about Taiwanese Mandarin, we try to focus on the the actual features that the majority of Taiwanese people use、uh, in their daily life speech.、Uh, so here are some examples.、Uh, so like I said previously,、uh, the the sentence final particles are some of the very salient features of Taiwanese Mandarin. And then what is also common to Taiwanese Mandarin is the drop of er sound, right? And then so if you are familiar with Beijing Mandarin,、uh, they have a lot of the er sound、um, at the end,、uh, not just at the end of the phrase or sentence, but also they do the zhi chi shi sound very salient,、um, in a very salient way. Whereas、uh, in Taiwanese Mandarin, sometimes 老师老师 you know. It's a.、Uh, it's we don't make this. We don't make it. We don't really make an effort to make this distinction between zhi chi shi and zhi chi si those sounds. And then so those are something considered a very unique feature 
of Taiwanese Mandarin. Although a lot of Southern uh, Chinese speakers also use these kind of features. Uh, they don't. They they drop the R's as well. But then whenever people hear uh, this drop of R sound, uh, they usually associate that uh, with Taiwanese Mandarin. Um, and then another feature that we hear a lot is the the N and the NG sound. So, 学生, 学生, and 学生, right? And then, so in Taiwanese Mandarin, we would say 学生 a lot. Uh, but then in, in standard uh, Mandarin or the Beijing Mandarin, so to speak, uh, you would say 学生, right? So you will make this NG sound more salient than people would in Taiwanese Mandarin. And then so the, the nasal, how we produce the nasal sounds uh, is also different from uh, standard uh, Mandarin in Beijing. Uh, also, there uh, we have this tendency to replace uh, all the neutral tones with four tones, right? So instead of saying 学生, we would say 学生, right? So we do we, we 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 drop a lot of the neutral tones, and instead we would use uh, uh, a regular tone instead. So instead of saying yo, we would say yo. Also, we use the third tone to replace the the neutral tone. So so those are all very uh, salient phonological features of Taiwanese Mandarin. And syntactic-wise, one of the very well-known feature of uh, Taiwanese Mandarin is the use of yo, right? And then so we have this tendency in Taiwanese Mandarin to use yo as an aspect marker, which means we would say, uh, So that means uh, I had this experience before. So as the markers of completion, uh, of an action. But in standard Mandarin, this is not a grammatical feature for many of people from northern part of China. And then, so they will always tell you, 我没吃过这道菜, or 我没看过这部电影, or 我吃过了, 我看过了这部电影. They wouldn't even use yo uh, in their sentence as a um, marker of completion. Uh, but then that feature is so common in Taiwanese Mandarin and also in a lot of southern varieties of Mandarin uh, because many southern dialects of Chinese, such as um, Taiwanese, Hakka, Cantonese, they all have this yo feature in their dialect. And then so when we speak Mandarin, um, there is this tendency that the, the, the feature will transfer into the way that we speak Mandarin. And then so we get a lot of those features actually uh, from Taiwanese and from Hakka because those are the, the two most spoken uh, local vernaculars here in Taiwan. Uh, so, so when we speak Mandarin, a lot of those features would uh, automatically transfer into the way that we speak Mandarin. Uh, so those are some of the very common features um, observed by linguists. Um, but then obviously, uh, not everybody uses those features, right? And then so it is really just um, statistically, we found that a lot of people would have those features in their speech. And then we refer to those features collectively as Taiwanese Mandarin. But then again, when people say Taiwan Chang or Gang Tai Chang, that is a social stereotype about Taiwanese Mandarin. But again, that is not the actual way. Uh, that people talk. 
Yeah, thank you, Jingyi, for、um, sharing with us the different features of Taiwan Chang and also the comparison as well, the Taiwanese Mandarin and also the、uh, Beijing Mandarin, and then.、Um, In this, like five different features, and specifically, I appreciate you mentioned that、uh, there's this diversity, there's a differences within the、uh, Taiwanese Mandarin itself, especially when we think about the、um, multi-ethnic、uh, society. That different、uh, communities they actually、uh, speak Mandarins. Uh, one way or another, differently as well. So I appreciate you mentioned the、uh, point of diversity. Even though now we sort of seem to talk about、uh, Taiwanese Mandarin as one、um, uh, linguistic category, but、uh, yes, there are some、uh, diversities and differences within this group. And、um, so now,、um, so、uh, now we'll be moving on to the Taiwanese Mandarin, and especially thinking about Taiwanese Mandarin, the development, the practices of Taiwanese Mandarin, in historical views. That is, you know, from the nationalist government, they moved to Taiwan, and all this uh, uh, sinocentric uh, uh, regime, but specifically about linguistic. Uh, policies and also Mandarin education in Taiwan. From、uh, they move here, I mean, move to Taiwan, and then from the fifties. And、um, so I was wondering, can you talk a little bit about how is、uh, Taiwanese Mandarin evolving, and especially from this uh, nationalist uh, uh, strategy for education and promotion, and、uh, now to nowadays? Sure. Um, so as we all know, after World War II,、um, the, the 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 Nationalist Party moved to Taiwan, and then、uh, they wanted to to take control of the island. And then, so at the time,、um, there were a lot of different. There were some different dialects spoken on the island, right? And then there were Taiwanese, there were Hakka, and then there were some Japanese also. And then, so for the sake of communication, they want to、uh, promote. Uh, the use of Mandarin throughout the island, and then so they made this rule that everybody at school should speak Mandarin only.、Uh, with this Mandarin only policy,、uh, so a lot of people would speak their home can only speak their home dialect, which is you know Taiwanese or Hakka at home,、uh, and then when they come to school, they all have to use.、Um, Mandarin, and then, so this is a very typical typical case of what we call a、uh, language contact. So language contact is when two languages are spoken at the same place by the same group of people, right? And then, so what happened in language contact is one language will have an effect on the other. That is a very obvious、uh, outcomes of you know language contact. And then, so so very naturally, a lot of people carry their um their whole. The way that they speak can,、um, Taiwanese and Hakka over into the way that they speak Mandarin, right? And then so with this language contact,、uh, we had a lot of there were a lot of new features coming into、uh, the Taiwanese Mandarin, and then at the time we were not also not allowed to have any sort of contact with mainland China, and then so after the separation for fifty years.、Uh, A mainland Mandarin and Taiwanese Mandarin just like diverged in their own way, and then developed their own ways of speech and own ways of like features and how how they use different you know phonological and syntactic、uh, features.、Uh, 
Uh, and I saw that it was sort of like the, this historical development of Taiwanese Mandarin. And the more and more, uh, we got this like influence of from Japan, right? Because we used to be the Japanese colony. And then so in a lot of ways, we adopted this kind of Japanese like cuteness or very uh, feminine kind of a speech style in popular culture. And then people think, oh, that is such a w- cute way of talking. And then so people associate a lot of those features with uh, femininity, right? And then so a lot of girls want to sound cute uh, on, you know, on social media uh, or on TV. And then so they would pick up those like Japanese kind of like cute features in um, in the way that they speak Mandarin. And then so 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 more and more uh, those kind of like cutesy uh, feminine kind of style go into the way that we speak Mandarin over time. And then so now it becomes this kind of what Chinese people call a very cute and, you know, feminine way of talking. Uh, so that was, uh, that was like a really, really brief introduction of how uh, Taiwanese Mandarin evolved over the last 50 years when the uh, Nationalist Party brought the language to Taiwan and then how they interact with the local languages first. And then later on, um, people pick up the speech style from, from Japan in popular culture. And then that the way, you know, Mandarin was spoken is now uh, developed into the way that we hear uh, on TV these days. Yeah, thank you, Jingyi. And especially appreciate uh, you mentioned that there this kind of uh, localization, right? Like localization of um, Mandarin. Uh, one way is this kind of linguistic, linguistically, linguistically localized. Uh, I just want to highlight the example you mentioned earlier in terms of yo, right? So um, sometimes this kind of inclusion of yo uh, is uh, one way or another might be influenced by the Taiwanese Hokkien use of the language and a sort of kind of like mixed in the uh, Mandarin uh, speaking as well. And another uh, trajectory you also briefly mentioned is this kind of localization uh, uh, in relation to Taiwan's history of uh, serial colonization as well, the Japanese influence and also the, I mean, the nationalist government, the kind of like Chinese uh, ideology in the linguistic uh, education and performance. And lastly, you mentioned this uh, kind of like cutified, right? The kind of cutified um, uh, uh, trend of uh, Mandarin. And then so these are the two uh, major uh, um, dimension that you mentioned about the involvement, uh, evolution of Taiwanese Mandarin. So uh, with that said, and also to think about, you know, from the 50s to nowadays, uh, you know, the language is evolving, right? And also to, uh, the, my question will be about the uh, perception as well. The perception of about this language in, uh, you know, changing and also evolving. So how has the Taiwanese Mandarin acquired uh, different social meanings uh, locally and also uh, in China or even globally as well? That is an excellent question. Um, So that was also the main focus of this book, right? And then so I was really interested in how the social perceptions of Taiwanese Mandarin really changed over time given different social uh, 
given during social meetings, the different contexts and part dynamics and all that. And then so in the in the 70s, when China first opened up its, you know, uh, the country to the world, uh, they had this a lot of pop cultural product, like we talk about, coming into into the mainland. And, and then so for the first time, the, the younger generation had exposure to the outside world, especially the, the Chinese-speaking community outside of China. And then so, so they watched a lot of, you know, Taiwanese TV shows, you know, movies from Hong Kong, music from both Hong Kong and Taiwan and all that. And then so, so at the time, uh, Taiwan was a lot more economically more advanced than mainland China. And so people had this ex- perception that, oh, this is how Taiwanese people speak. And this is how, you know, if you live, ha- if you live a, a very urban kind of style, this is how you would talk. And then so through the influence of media, uh, people formulate uh, this kind of uh, perception of Taiwanese Mandarin. And then so in a way, me- uh, media really builds this connection between um, linguistic practices and also the language ideologies, right? And then so so they connect. So through media or the, the TV programs that they watched, people, Chinese people develop, establish this kind of connection between the urban lifestyle and also the, you know, the weight of, of, of speech. And so people... Uh, start to have this like a perception that oh if you live in a like urban kind of area this is the way that you would talk and then so so people assign this what we call social meanings uh to taiwanese mandarin and then so that was what happened in the 70s and then so if you ask so my experience in my research has been that uh, whenever you ask people, you know, in their 50s or 60s, they will always tell you very positive things about Taiwanese Mandarin. They'll be like, oh, this sounds very nice and it sounds very educated. It sounds very cosmopolitan. And then that really represents a urban lifestyle. And we watch a lot of those, you know, Taiwanese dramas growing up. And then so we really love the accent. So this is a kind of, the, that's a very typical response that I got. Uh, from my, you know, research participants uh, who are uh, in their 50s and 70s, uh, no, sorry, who are in their 50s and 60s. Uh, but then if you ask the younger generation, so whenever I, I talk to the, uh, the college s- students, they will always tell you, oh, Taiwanese Mandarin sounds very feminine. Uh, it sounds uh, very cute, very polite, but in a way, I can't really take it very seriously because it just sounds like so so girly and babyish, right? And then so so I found out that the, the perception of Taiwanese Mandarin really changed over time. And then so so that really got me thinking, so what are the causes of those uh, attitudinal changes? And then so I look at the media, I, I look at how people, you know, talk on media and how people, how those actors and actresses project themselves uh, on, 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 on TV and also... Uh, you know those talk show hosts, how they host the shows and all that, and then and I really found that over time, like we talked, people pick a lot of like speech different speech styles uh, from 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 the Japanese culture, and then we are becoming more and more influenced 
in our popular culture uh, by the Japanese culture, and then so that people try to project this new persona and using a different weight of speech, and then they they start to 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 start to to incorporate this sort of like very cute style into their speech. And then so these days, if you watch TV shows, uh, you will really find found that uh, the way that people talk is already very different from how people talk, you know, 30 years ago. And then so media definitely plays a very important role in this uh, in this changing attitude. And then one thing that has also changed a lot over the last 30 years um, was the power dynamics between China and Taiwan, right? And then so... So Taiwan is no longer perceived as this very urban or cosmopolitan place by the younger generation in China because they have all the you know all the crazy big cities, all the high rises, all the modern lifestyles now, right? And so when they look at Taiwan, um, they no longer see Taiwan as this like very urban or cosmopolitan place. Instead, it is perceived more like a very cute little island. Um, or you know, you know, a place where people are very friendly and polite, and then so so those perceptions of Taiwanese people or Taiwan in general has also transferred into the way that they perceive the language, and then so over time with the power dynamics, uh, the changing power, power dynamics between Taiwan and China. Uh, people also changed their perception of the way. Uh, the Taiwanese people talk, and then so so media, uh, power dynamics, and then popular culture. Those are some of the very important factors that I found in my own research that uh, substantially influence the social perception of Taiwanese Mandarin by Chinese mainlanders over time. Yeah, thank you, Jingyi, for uh, touch upon these three uh, very uh, important and interesting dimension. First is generational differences. You mentioned that your participant, uh, they will respond uh, or they perceived uh, Taiwanese Mandarin uh, very differently um, in their different age group. And then the second dimension, you also mentioned that this um, this interregional or this interation uh, network of cultural uh, uh, product circulation. Again, you mentioned this kind of Japanese uh, soft power, right? And then how that is very this uh, uh, popular uh, in Taiwan and also uh, other uh, uh, places in Asia as well. So this kind of circulation, interaction, circulation. Uh, network of circulation. And lastly, you mentioned this uh, kind of like contemporary cross-strait geopolitics, how that uh, changing power dynamics, I mean, you know, back in the 50s and 70s, Cold War, and now contemporary, how that changing, shifting uh, geopolitical uh, landscape also, uh, one way or another, uh, shape the uh, perception, understanding, or even, as you mentioned, imagination or stereotype of Taiwanese uh, Mandarin. So uh, uh, you mentioned how uh, media shape and also circulate and popularize uh, Gang Tai Chang in China. And I was wondering, can you uh, elaborate a little bit more about what uh, kind of media 
that you are talking about. So uh, I remember uh, in different uh, chapters, you mentioned about this kind of uh, talk show on TV, so on and so forth. But I was wondering, is there also like other trajectories, for example, like films or other uh, different cultural products in the uh, media uh, circulation? Yes. Um, so in my study, I mostly just look at TV shows, but then not just TV shows on TV. So, so I was interested in and any sort of platforms where you can watch those shows, right? And then so the most important thing that we know about, um, about media and language is we all, um, if you watch shows a lot of a lot, and then over time, there is a possibility that you will pick up those features that uh, that you think it's really cool, and that or th- things that you think very positively. And then so, but if you don't really like the show, or you think people, you know, the people that you see on TV is not are not cool, and then and then you have a very negative perception of the show. Uh, most likely you won't pick up those features. And then so, so traditionally in sociolinguistics, there is this um, theory called um, speech accommodation theory. So the theory, speech accommodation theory says that if you have you know, face-to-face interaction with people, and then over time, you will pick up those features from the person or people that you are talking to. And that is what they call speech accommodation. Uh, But then when it comes to media, a lot of people are very skeptical about this theory. They would be like, if you watch the TV show, you don't really interact with the people in the TV, right? So you don't really uh, interact with the characters in the show. And then so how would would you still pick up features from the TV shows? And then so... So my main argument was that if you if you really like the show and that you have a positive attitude towards the show and that eventually you will still pick up some features here and there from the shows that you watch. But then if you don't really like the show and you think it's very uh you know dumb, stupid and it's not it's not it's it's not perceived very positively um by yourself, and then you will not pick up the features that you watch from TV. Uh, so, so my 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 study has been focusing on TV shows, but the, it's not just TV shows on TV, but also if you can watch the TV shows from you know from different platforms such as you know on the internet or Netflix and a lot of other other platforms that that you can watch as long as. You can see the characters that that sort of gives you the social contacts, and then you can hear them talk, and then so that, that that's the media that I was interested in. And then so I look at it, so I when I did my survey, I asked people like you know how how often you watch those shows, but then not necessarily on TV, but also from the internet and from a lot of different platforms. So wherever you have access to those shows, dramas, or whatever, and then I will consider that a media platform that can have uh, a a potential impact on people's speech behavior. Yeah, and then... um... Especially, you mentioned that it's not just about TV, right? Like cable TV, but nowadays, you know, we have the rise of digital media and also the internet as well. And then a lot of uh, different sources uh, here and there in internet. And uh, so, um, 
so at the accessibility right the accessibility and also uh, the uh, exposure of the Taiwanese Mandarin could be uh, through very different uh, variety of channels um, in everyday life. So uh, we talk about media and then we also talk about language ideology uh, previously and especially about how um, Taiwanese Mandarin is being perceived uh, by some, it, it mentioned is desirable, it seems to be this uh, educated or cosmopolitan profile uh, to the speaker. But you also mentioned for some people, it seemed to be quote unquote awkward, or it's uh, more like those uh, undesirable feature uh, in the uh, Mandarin uh, practice. So uh, with this uh, perception, from the uh, Chinese uh, people. And I was wondering that because nowadays, Taiwanese people actually consumed and watch a lot of uh, TV shows from um, China. And then, you know, for all the dramas, the talk shows, and also variety shows. So uh, my question for you is that even though this may be uh, outside the scope of this book, but I'm interested to hear your uh, your thoughts or maybe some observation that you can share with us that how the recent rise of Chinese cultural production, and especially in Putonghua, how that impact the practice, the speaking of Taiwanese Mandarin. That, that's a really, really good question, Li Ping. Um, I, I feel like there is also definitely a, like a reverse impact uh, on, on, on Taiwanese Mandarin from, from mainland China, because just like you said, there are so many shows from China that people watch in Taiwan these days. And then so, uh, so I feel like over time we will pick up. So I think I have already noticed a lot of the the phrases um, or the pronunciations and stuff that is, has been picked up by Taiwanese people. And then so I feel like over time, uh, there will be more and more features from Beijing Mandarin entering uh, Taiwanese Mandarin. And then so there is, there is definitely this like reverse effect going on um, in Taiwan, especially on the way that we talk. And then so, so, so definitely I have noticed that people pick up words such as uh what are some some of the very common words that we uh we will use that's from china uh, for example kaupu, right and then so uh, there are a lot of ex- other expressions that I, I couldn't think of off the top of my head but then but then if you know if, if you pay attention to the daily speech of taiwanese people and then you will definitely notice a lot of the phrases that are actually uh from china um through through media as well so definitely that is happening more and more i think like over time uh, that would be uh the there will be more and more um vocabulary or synthetic structures or or phonological features going into taiwanese mandarin from china yeah i i think about one phrase that uh so there this this term uh has appeared uh more and more, especially now we have all the digital media and social media platform. Uh, so what we call vi- video uh, in Taiwan, and then some people start to use shiping uh, to refer to uh, video instead of pian. Yeah, so uh, but I think this is uh, definitely uh, one uh, great example to 
think about Taiwanese Mandarin as a living language, right? So it's a living language. People are using it. That's why there's still this kind of different changes and uh, evolving as well, still evolving because it is a living uh, language. And um, so uh, so with this uh, Taiwanese Mandarin and also perception, you mentioned this briefly uh, earlier as well, but I was wondering whether you can talk a little bit more about why or how is uh, Taiwanese Mandarin or the so-called Gangdai Chang specifically associated with cuteness or with this kind of cutified, uh, cutified uh, pattern of speech or in some contexts associated with Sa Jiao. So how seems that all these are sort of kind of like uh, f- uh, feminine uh, sort of kind of like a profile to the uh, Taiwanese Mandarin speaker. So I was wondering, can you uh, talk about the association or a connection between the two? Sure, definitely. Um, so I feel like a lot of the shows that people watch from Taiwan are idol dramas, right? And then so those idol dramas are essentially made for female audience. And then so a lot of the times uh, the people talk or, you know, uh, it's catered to their female audience. And then so, of course, the, the girls want to be like really, really cute. And then the guys also want to be like really like mellow and, you know, uh, soft and caring, that kind of features. And then so, so that really gives the language, the characters as well. So it's not just uh, the characters, they have personalities, that the, the, their personalities also transferred onto the language. And then so that is why I said that media really plays this role of formulating, but also fortifying this link, uh, semiotic link between um, linguistic practices and the social ideologies. And then so by watching all those TV dramas made for women, and then people over time pick up this kind of concept that, oh, Taiwanese people really talk in a very feminine way. Um, but, but it's mostly because of the, the genre of the shows that they watch, right? It's not that they have a very comprehensive exposure to different aspects of life of Taiwanese people, but they, they only have this one very single aspect of you know, Taiwanese lifestyle, and especially when those shows are made uh, specifically for women. And then so people pick up this kind of like features that, oh, this is how, you know, women would talk. And this is how guys would, would talk when they are talking to women and all that. And then so, so over time, people have developed this perception that Taiwanese, you know, people talk in a very, very feminine way. Yeah, and then specifically uh, the uh, gendered perceptions of Taiwanese uh, Mandarin and also the speakers uh, as well. And then uh, in your book, you mentioned that this is uh, kind of this kind of new type of masculinity, and you describe it as this kind of soft uh, masculinity uh, associated with uh, cuteness or as a more feminine uh, element in their speech. And so I was wondering, can you talk more about how this new type of the uh, soft masculinity as it is associated uh, with uh, Taiwanese Mandarin, how this new type of soft masculinity uh, reshaping or redefining the model of 
masculinity or the masculine language in the Sinophone world. Okay, sure. Um, so, so towards the end of my book, um, I start to think, okay, so what exactly is considered feminine, right? So when people tell me, oh, your way of talking is very feminine, what exactly does they mean by feminine? What are the features or what are the characteristics of you know femininity that they're talking about? And then so I, I started to do a lot of kind of research on femininity and also masculinity in different cultural contexts, right? And then so of course, in different cultural contexts, there are different definitions of femininity and uh, masculinities, right? And then so, and so in, in Asia recently, there is this new uh, models of masculinity going on from the, from the influence of uh, K-pop, um, the, the Korean popular culture, right? And then so, so we saw, we have seen a lot of those like K-pop stars uh, that, you know, they are male, but then they put on a lot of makeup and then they dress in a very uh, gender neutral way or what we call androgynous way, right? And then so, and then so they become extremely popular uh, among the younger generation. And then they present a, a, a very different type of, you know, fem, uh, masculinity. They are considered very, uh, they are considered uh, non-conformist, right? They are considered with this very youth, youth um, independent, non-conformist identity. Uh, and then so they become very, very well accepted by the younger generation, not by everyone, but then by the younger generation especially. And then so this kind of image also goes into a lot of the shows that we have, right, in Taiwanese uh, dramas. And so so when so those guys would dress up like those K-pop stars, or they have like the makeup, the hairstyle, or the uh, or, or, or the overall style is very androgynous, right? And then it's not considered so. I when I look at a lot of studies by Korean scholars, they said it's not it's not feminine. You know, making putting on makeup for men is not a feminine thing, but it's a new ways of looking at uh, male identity. It's a new way of looking at what exactly is modern masculinity, uh, and then so this kind of new concepts or ideas really come in come across. Uh, Asia, not just into Taiwan, but also into China, Japan, and a lot of um, East Asian countries. And then, so over time, that those like Korean dramas and K-pop are are really reshaping how people perceive what masculinity is. But then, for people who are not yet influenced by this, or people who are not acceptive uh, of this kind of influence, they would. See Taiwanese Mandarin, or, or they will see this culture as you know being very feminine, or being not like a man, or you, you know stuff like that. And then so so this new kind of masculinity is still changing how people think of what a man should be like, or what uh what uh, what is considered a masculine speech style, or what is considered a feminine. Uh, speech style, but then uh, we do not have a, a definite answer for that one yet because that is still changing uh, our perception over time. Uh, so towards the end of the book, I, I kind of want to draw on this conclusion that our perception is really dynamic. Our perception of language is really dynamic. It's it's not only 
it's not only the way that we talk, but also it is in the social cont. It is a it is a lot about the social context, right? So how we perceive femininity, how we perceive masculinity, and those perceptions will transfer into the way that we perceive languages as well. And then so with this new type of new new type of masculinities and femininity coming into Taiwan and also into China, and then that are those. New concepts of gender uh, are also reshaping the way that we look at our own and other people's languages. Yeah, thank you, Jingyi, and especially you touch upon also. I mean, in addition to、uh, J-pop and Japanese、uh, drama, but also definitely K-pop and K-drama. That's、uh, immensely popular、uh, in Taiwan as well. So I definitely appreciate you mentioned that uh, the uh, connection. Or a consumption, even of the uh, Korean uh, cu- uh, cultural products, and also、uh, you mentioned this very important point in terms of how the language practice or language perception actually also reveal language ideology, and that language ideology is、um, actually informed should be contextualized with the social context as well. And then you mentioned that this、uh, masculinity and how it is being perceived. With more like feminine features, and also,、uh, I guess one way is also to think about this kind of like、uh, the social context、uh, is you know one way or another still kind of like the undercurrent is still this、uh, heteronormativity、uh, that to kind of like、uh, categorize as masculinity and femininity,、uh, but、uh, in a way that you know nowadays it's a very diverse. Uh, 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 Life, so I guess this is something that、uh, when I hearing you uh, 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 unpacking the、uh, gendered perception, then I was thinking about the ideology and also, I mean, of course, K-pop and K、uh, drama as well. All right. Um. So, uh, thank you, Jingyi, for、uh, sharing with us. Uh. The、uh, the thoughts and some of the highlights from the book, and uh, so now um, we are uh, towards the、uh, last section for our interview. So、uh, per our tradition, so I will be asking you the、uh, traditional final question here at New Books Network. So、uh, Jingyi,、uh, can you share with us、uh, what you are working on right now, or what's your、uh, next project? Your next plan will be. Hmm. So my、uh, my next project will be looking at、uh, the role of gender in language acquisition. Um. So as a linguist and also a a language instructor, I have always been really interested in how people acquire Mandarin as a second language. And so and then so more recently, um, after I finished this book project on Taiwanese Mandarin and how. Language media,、uh, language media, and also genders are really influence the way that we perceive languages. I want to look at how exactly、uh, gender plays a role、uh, in language acquisition.、Um, so I I I got my initial idea when I went to some of those、um, language meetups in New York.、Uh, so as you probably know that in New York there are a lot of different kind of meetups where people gather together for similar interests and and. And stuff like that, and and one of the very popular meetups、um, is language meetups, right? And then so sometimes I go to those Mandarin meetups to meet with people and to practice Mandarin with them. And then so I found that there are、um, different 
different like communicative strategies that people would use at those meetups, right? And then so male and females sometimes they use very different, you know, communication strategies when they approach, you know, new people, when they approach people that, you know, they meet for the first time. And then so so the how they make their transitions of topics and how people uh where do people take pauses and where do people, you know, take turns to talk and all that. I, I feel like in ter- if you really look at their way um, of using those communicative strategies, you really find that men and f- women, they take very different strategies when they c- talk to people. And then as a result, that also, uh, have an in- that also has an impact on the way that they acquire a, a foreign language. And then so my next project... Um, I was I, I I was really interested in how you know gender influence the way that we acquire languages. So I was not I'm not just looking at you know meetups in New York, but I also look at a lot of the migrant workers in Taiwan. And then so over the past ten years, we have been getting a lot um, of migrant workers, mostly female, right from Southeast Asian countries, working in Taiwan. And then so they, um, for them, uh, they work. A lot of them work as dom- domestic helpers in the family setting. And then how they communicate with the family members, how they communicate uh, with the kids, with the grandmoms, or with the with the with the husband and with the wife. Um, is also very crucial to the to the to the study of gender in second language acquisition. And then, so as a female worker in a foreign household, what kind of communi- communicative strategy they take in order to communicate with the people that host them? And then, with that kind of strategies, how do they? acquire Mandarin uh, over time without very little formal instruction. And then, so that would be my next step in my research. And that's something that we're really, really interested uh, to find out more. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And especially the uh, migrant workers and also the uh, so-called new immigrants in Taiwan, mm-hmm. um, they moved to Taiwan for work or for uh, many different reasons. I guess this is also partly related to what we mentioned earlier in terms of the diversity in Taiwan as well. Uh, the community composition, the uh, linguistic practice, but also, you know, for the religious practice, so on and so forth as well. And language is definitely one of the uh, very important feature for this uh, diverse uh, Taiwan. All right, so um, that sounds good. And looking forward to your uh, maybe next book about this uh, project. Yeah, so uh, Jingyi, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I want to thank you, our audience, uh, for uh, listening to the end. And uh, so um, this will be uh, the uh, last part of our uh, interview for today and also for this year, 2021. So... So I hope uh, everyone uh, take a good care and staying safe and see you next time in 2022. Goodbye. Bye.